We know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. those guys. Come on, just raise your hand, admit it. You had a hairdo like that. Holy moly. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. You guys that are in a younger generation, you don't know this, but there's a, there was a day that there was a difference between fast songs and slow songs when you went to a dance, okay? Now they're, they're just all the same, but back then, man, you had your fast songs, Footloose, you know, that kind of thing, but then you had your slow songs, Air Supply, Chicago, and then this one. Come on. I can't fight this feeling any longer, and yet I'm still afraid to let it flow. What started out as friendship has grown stronger. Only wish I had the strength to let it show. That is some serious lyrics. <laughs> and we're going to talk about those today. Kind of, kind of. <laughs> uh, well, I'm Bill Stevens. I'm the lead pastor here at Ascent. I'm so glad you guys are here today. I love it that we get to go out there afterwards and have a blast together and do, the, do, the, do all that we're going to do with the block party. Like Maurice said, that, is, that block party is for us to connect with each other, to connect with the city. We hope some other people just happen to drive by and stop and say, in and out truck, of course I'll stop and get something. We hope that that's the case because we want to be able to connect with each other. But before we do... I believe that the Lord has got something in store for us in here, okay? We're in the second week of our series called All the Feels. Because we recognize that when you come walking into this place, we all, we have feelings that we come walking in with. Some of us, some of us have a, a sadness that they haven't been able to get away, with, get away from for the last season or two of your life. Some of us have an anger that's that from, a, from a, a fellow employee that you're just going, I just can't get rid of that. Some of us, it's disappointment, it's laughter, it's fun, it's happiness, it's all the, the feelings that we have. And I got to admit, a pet peeve of mine with church is that a lot of times it feels like for us in church that we got to come in, put your feelings aside, worship Jesus, and then pick your feelings back up afterwards. But that's not the case. 
we want to be in this space where we're going to be honest about our feelings and let's touch, let's touch on them. Let's figure those out. Where are they coming from? And what's Jesus got to say for us and with us in the midst of those? Last week we started it and I, and I quoted this, this uh, Lisa Turkhurst that wrote a, wrote a book called Unglued. She said this, she said, feelings are indicators, not dictators. They can indicate where your heart is at in the moment, but that doesn't mean that they have the right to dictate your behavior and boss you around. You are more than the sum total of your feelings. And I love that because we are more than the sum total of our feelings. But what I said last week is what happens when those feelings are dictating what's going on in our life? What happens when you're just going, you woke up sad and you remain sad all day and you're like, it just dictated everything that was going on in my life. What happens when you can't get rid of that anger and it's dictating what's happened in your life? Last week we talked about exhaustion and tired and why do I feel so tired all the time? What happens if that's dictating our life? We want to talk through those kinds of things and we want to be honest in here about them. We don't want to fight our feelings. You see, I did that. Ario Speedwagon, I wove it right in there. That's a little gift for me to you. We don't want we, we to avoid those feelings. We actually want to spend some time in here talking about them. See, see, the same God who listened to Job's agony and to Jonah's wailing and to Elijah's depression and to the psalmist's pain and struggle is ready to listen to us. And so let's bring those feelings to the table and talk through them. That's what, that's what our hope is through this. But we also know that we want to ground it. We want to ground it in the hope that we have in a God that says, wow, we're floating all over the place with our feelings. We still have a God that's right there with us. And that's why we quoted that passage in Hebrews. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor, anchor for our souls. Because we need to be anchored in the midst of all the different feelings that we have. And so that's what we're talking about. So we've been talking about last week. It's what we're going to continue to talk about. We're going to pray about this. And then we're going to get into a feeling that I have a feeling that some of you will say, I don't know if I deal with that. But I think as we unpack it some more, we might start to go, you know what? Actually, I do. I just never realized that I do. We're going to talk about the feeling of loneliness today. Okay, so let's pray together and we'll dig into that. Father, we thank you that you meet us in all of this. You, you speak to us in all of this. We thank you that you are a God that wants us to bring our feelings to you. It doesn't threaten you. It doesn't, you don't have judgment on them. You just want to walk with us in them. And so I pray that you would walk with us in this today as we unpack even more of those feelings that we're bringing in here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to jump right into some scripture, okay? We're going to go to Mark chapter 1, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four people that set out to write about the life of Jesus. Mark's the shortest of those four. He did the condensed version. So if you're looking to pick up a Bible for the very first time and read it for the first time, this might be the book that you would choose to read first. It's about the life of Jesus in the shortest version you can. So, I mean, I think you could read it. Nah, that'd be inappropriate. Nah, who cares? You could read it on the toilet over three times, okay? So, so if that's inappropriate, I'm sorry. Um, here's how we get started. Mark chapter 1, he starts out, he just jumps right into Jesus' life and ministry. He says, a leper came to Jesus. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I want to make sure we're couching this properly, okay? A leper came to Jesus. Lepers in the, in, in the, in the Bible, you see them in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you, you hear a lot about leprosy. Leprosy was that, was that disease to your, of your skin that would blister up and you'd get these awful, awful sores all over your body, especially on your face and arms and hands, and people would see them. What would happen back in, that, in first century Palestine when it came to leprosy is people would look at it and they'd be afraid of it because they were afraid of how contagious it was. 
And so they didn't want to, didn't want to be a, near somebody that has leprosy, okay, because they were afraid of it. They were also disgusted by it. It looked horrible. And so they didn't want to, they just, it was hard for someone to even look at it. And then on top of that, the religious leaders in the, at the time attached it to sin and said, well, this is sinful and that's why they have leprosy. And so when you put all those together, for someone that didn't have leprosy, they saw somebody that they were fearful of, they saw somebody that they were disgusted them, and they saw somebody that even they had some sort of religious right to ignore them. And so what would happen is those people would be taken from their families, from their neighbors, from their community, and would be pressed to the outsides, to the outsides of town. They'd be pressed into kind of this kind of the desolate spaces outside of town. I can picture that in my head because I've been there. I've been to the Holy Lands and, 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 a, and, and I can picture those moments where they, they move out from the town right out there. And on a total side note, you guys, total side note, we're going to the Holy Lands next summer. And, and, I, and I want you guys to, to do it because when you read passages like this, all of a sudden they come alive. And you go, wow, I can picture that. And I can picture that. So think about that, okay? The stupid a advertisement in the middle of what I want to say here. So he's, the, 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 the lepers would, would go outside of town. Nobody wanted to be around them. There'd be leper colonies. They'd be on their own. So when, they, when this passage says a leper came to Jesus, don't picture it like Jesus in the middle of town and a leper walks up to him. That wasn't even legal. You couldn't do that. If the leper came to Jesus, because Jesus came to the leper first. Jesus was, was in the heart of the margins. Jesus was walking alongside people and in the spaces where lepers were at, Jesus would come. Isn't that true for our life? We sit there and say, man, I got to find Jesus or I'm going to go look for Jesus or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Jesus and, and, and you find, wait, he has been with me all along and he has found me. Well, that's what's happened. This, this leper came to Jesus where he has already come to him and he, and he knelt in front of him and appealed to him, if you want to, will you make, can you make me clean? And Jesus was filled with pity for him and stretched out his hand and placed it on the leper and saying, of course I want to, be clean. At once the leprosy left him and he was quite clean. Jesus sent him away and, and there and then with the strict injunction, mind you say nothing to anybody. Because Jesus is going, I'm at the very beginning of my ministry right now. These guys aren't ready for this. I know I'm going to get it. How dare you even be around lepers? You're going to get it and you're going to give it to us as well. How dare you heal somebody? Are you saying that you have the power to be able to do that? Jesus knows they're not ready for this yet. So he's saying, will you, will you just keep it to yourself right now? But the leper couldn't do that. His life has been pushed to the margins. And now he comes in and he says, he began to talk a great deal about it in public, spreading the story far and wide. Consequently, it became impossible for Jesus to show his face in the towns, and he had to stay outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from all quarters. Now, you guys, when he went, out of town, went outside of town, he was in lonely places. It doesn't mean that Jesus was lonely. He still has his disciples with him. He's got people, like I said, that came to him from all quarters. He went to lonely places. He went to the places where he knew people are feeling alone. That's, if you get nothing else out of today, know that Jesus goes to the lonely places. When you are feeling it and you're feeling you're the only one that's feeling it, Jesus goes to the lonely places. 
and he meets us there. I'm talking about loneliness today, and I know that some of you are saying, man, I just don't deal with loneliness. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe you do. Let's first start with some statistics, okay? There was a Harvard study done two years ago. 36% of all Americans are feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time. More than one out of every three are saying we are feeling lonely frequently or almost all of the time. 61% of young adults say that. Almost two out of every three young adults say that. 51% of mothers with young children say that they feel lonely frequently or almost all the time. One out of every two moms. When you see them sitting there and they're holding that little baby, one out of every two moms are feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time. And that's just the people that admit it. You know, for some of us, it's, it's hard to admit that you feel lonely because it sounds, I don't know, maybe it sounds weak. Is that why we can't admit it? I mean, even for me, as I was preparing this, um, Chris, I could just walk by me. Uh, he's our high school and middle school pastor. He walked by me and he sees that I was reading this book called Through the Wilderness of Loneliness. And, and he's going, Bill, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm like, see that right there. It's, it's, we, we look at it and we go, oh gosh, is there something wrong? And you just go, well, well I think we all, we all are, are, are feeling it. And, and I think that the reason why I think most of us do it and you don't even know that you are is because loneliness attaches itself to other, other feelings that we have. It hitchhikes, it sticks out its thumb and it hitchhikes off of guilt and depression and grief. When you're in the midst of uh, feeling guilty and you don't want to say to anybody why you feel guilty, loneliness hitchhikes to that guilt. And you just feel like, I'm the only one and I cannot be exposed for the guilt that I feel. Depression, grief. Come on, you guys that have gone through serious grief in your life know that there's a loneliness, not just feeling alone, but a loneliness that comes from that. You've lost your, your, your mom, you know, a year ago, and everybody else came and was supporting you at the memorial service, but then, but then a, a year later, you're still feeling something inside, a loss inside, and you don't know why those feelings are there and what comes in. Loneliness attaches to that. And you just feel like, man, nobody gets the feelings that I'm having right now. It's a parasite to host emotions like fear and sadness. It's a, it clings tenaciously to anxiety. You, you, you're, you're anxious, and many of you guys know you're anxious, and you just go, and I am alone in this. So loneliness, you start to realize, is actually comes out more often than you think it does. I went through a serious bout of loneliness this last year. I mean, Jackie and I, and I have a great marriage. I mean, Jackie and I have been married for 30 years tomorrow. And, and so it's where we, you know, yeah, thank you. Um, it, it's been an, it's, she's been a, a, a massive gift to me in my life. And she's walked through so much with me. But in the midst of last year, I felt the loneliness and it had to do with that grief. You know, a year and a half ago, you guys know that we lost our house. And a year later, I processed that with many of you in here. And I'll get it. I'll get it from someone, mostly not to me, but to somebody else, where they say, Bill needs to get over that. That was a year ago. And any of you guys that have experienced grief, when you hear somebody say that, you're going, oh my gosh, now it's even more lonely because now you're starting to go, I, I, don't, I know I'm supposed to get over it, but I can't and I haven't. 
And so now you're feeling more in the shadows of going, if I express this with somebody, I can honestly admit, you guys, even as I share it today, I'm worried someone's going to go, he always shares about his stupid fire. I know some of you are thinking that, right? And then there's this loneliness that comes from that because it attaches itself to grief. Tim Hansel says it this way from Through the Wilderness of Loneliness. Loneliness is a wrinkled and unappreciated feeling. It's the kind of feeling you find in the corner of the closet when you're not even looking for it, a leftover ache rumpled in the corner, which somehow manages to penetrate your whole being. I have thought at times that there is no pain quite so empty as loneliness. It's that inner vacuum that nothing seems to be able to fill, a pain that's elusive, evasive, and hard to handle. And, and, and so many have it no matter what their circumstances in their life. A high school student will walk through the halls at Monarch High School or Centaurus or, or Fairview or wherever, and even if they have good friends, they can walk through those hallways feeling alone. You can be in the middle of a great family with great siblings and parents, and you still are kind of wading through the waters of loneliness. It's, it's a young mom. It's a young dad. It's someone that hasn't been able to have kids. A deep, deep loneliness comes with it. It's, it's, a, a, it's the day after retirement when everyone has celebrated you that you retired. But it's the day after and you go, and now what's my purpose? And there's a loneliness in that question. It's empty nesters that you go, now is the time for us to get to, get to go enjoy life and the kids are gone and we'll go do stuff. But then it's going, okay, but what, what do we do? And there's a loneliness in that. It's college students. You guys know that I did college ministry for 21 years. And what I used to say to, all, to freshmen, especially in college, is I used to say, look, the, the number one feeling you're going to feel is loneliness. It doesn't matter if you're in a great fraternity or sorority. It doesn't matter if you have a great dorm or if you have great friends or if you had friends from high school that came or you're living near home. What I found over those 21 years and the conversations I'd have with college students is the number one feeling that they would have as they lay their head on their pillow at the end of the night is loneliness, is a disconnect. Listen to what Tim says about himself with this. He says, a deep sense of dislocation overwhelms my very being. I feel disconnected from all that I treasure, God, my family, my friends, even myself. Perhaps at the heart of loneliness is a great feeling of disconnection. That's what we want to talk about. This great feeling of disconnection. Psalm 102 says it. He says, I'm like a vulture in a far-off wilderness or like an owl alone in the desert. I lie awake lonely as a solitary sparrow on the roof. See, it's part of our human predicament that we're in. It's, it doesn't care how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't care what kind of marriage or how good of a marriage you have. It doesn't care how mature you are. It's still with us. So now that I've depressed you all and said you all are lonely... <laughs> There's hope. It's why I started with the passage that I started with. Because Jesus says, I walk into lonely places. And so whether it's attached to you from sadness or guilt or frustration or whatever, Jesus walks into those places without hesitation. He walks into the lonely places and he meets us there and even heals us there. So that's what we want to talk about. That's how we want to dig into this. I want to talk a little bit as we're unpacking this. I want to give us some hope because sometimes we want to push the darkness of loneliness or the darkness of our feelings. We want to push them out. 
but I don't think I'm going to be able to push out that loneliness out of someone's life today through the words that we say. I don't think that, but, but maybe instead it's, it's just shedding light on it. And it's putting some light in where we feel like we've been in some dark spaces. So I want to talk about, one, how God has created us, because I think we can find some hope in that. I want to talk about some of the lies and the misconceptions that, and some of the cultural presses against us connecting with each other. I want to talk about maybe even some lessons that God has taught us in the midst of it, and then even a command that he gives to all of us. So how God has created us, okay? God has created us to be in relationship. He's created us to connect with each other, okay? You see that right from the very beginning. When you go to the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, he says, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he say? God's created the heavens and the earth, and, he, and it said, and he saw, that it, he saw it, and he said that it was what? It was good. He, he looked at the, the, he created the waters and the lands and the, and the plants and the animals, and he looked at it all, and he said that it was what? It was good. He created human beings in his likeness. And then he said that it was what? No, you missed that. It was very good. It was very good. Where do we first see that it wasn't good? Now, I'm not talking about sin. When sin happened, we see that it wasn't good when he says, and man, shouldn't, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created women. And now, now we have even more of connection. Now, now, here's where we've messed this up and we've only looked at that as marriage. But come on, it's, it's more than marriage. Are you saying that that wouldn't be there for somebody that's single? That's not a truth for somebody that's single? No, God has, has looked at us and said, we need to be together. We need that connection. He's looking at humankind and saying, I've made you in my image. I want us to be connected. We know this because we look back at, at 126 and it says, it says uh, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Why is he using the plural in that? Why is he saying us? Well, it's because it's more than just God. It's God, it is his son Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit. That's the us. And you go, wait, Jesus came later and the Holy Spirit came later. All of it has been there from the very beginning. God, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship. Now, you're, if you're new, you're going, that doesn't make any sense. Is it one or is it three? And you guys, any theologian with any chops, if they really wanted to admit it, they'd say this is the great mystery of our faith, and it's a beautiful mystery of three in one. But God's Son and Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are there together, and he's saying, we're going to make humans in our image. We're, we're, I'm a God of relationship, I'm a God of connection, and I'm going to make humans with a God of connection. Did he make us so, because he was lonely? No, he made us because he's love. John mentions that in 1 John 4, 8. He says, anyone who does not love God doesn't know God because God is love. And if God's love, love takes relationships. And so God has made us to connect with each other. I love what Jenny Allen says about this. Jenny is a, is a speaker and communicator down in, in Texas. She does the IF gatherings, wit, gather, get a bunch of people, a bunch of women together to go to the IF gathering. I love what Jenny says about this. She says, look at the progression. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship, humankind, humankind with each other. And then that progressed into family. And then that progressed into, into community. Then that progressed into nations. And then we got Jesus. And then we've got the Holy Spirit. And then we've got the local church in Acts chapter 2 where they committed themselves to the breaking of bread and to fellowship and to, to being together and to sharing with each other each other's burdens. The local church became the conduit for what God has done with us in connecting us with each other. The local church became the place that you're saying, I, I, we want to meet you in those spaces that you're feeling disconnected. I want to help you to connect with Jesus. I want to help you connect with this earth. That's part of what was happening in the very beginning. I want you to connect with each other. I want you to connect with people that aren't each other, that someone that you see outside of the walls of the building that you're in. Jesus cared deeply for us to connect deeply with each other. So then here's the question. If that's how he's created us, then why do we feel alone? If he's created us that way, what do we do with these feelings of loneliness at times? I want to go through that a little bit because sometimes it's things that's happened in our life that led us to, and circumstances led us to a place of loneliness. But sometimes it's other things that are at work. It's the culture. Our culture right now is a culture that presses us against connecting with each other, you guys. And I think we know this. We are seeking autonomy without intimacy. We have friends without intimate interactions. You know, that's where social media comes in. And I'm not going to bag on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or any of those things. But, and some people would say, no, we're the most connected generation of people because we get to see what's happening with my high school friend from 30 years ago. But tell me this, after two hours of scrolling through Instagram, do you feel super connected? After a couple hours, you just go, oh, man, I feel so connected to everybody. That was beautiful. <laughs> I don't think we feel that way. I think there's almost even more of a disconnect as you're just comparing your life to somebody else's. And it's because we have taken away the intimate interactions. We work from home. We shop online. We bank online. We have friends online. We listen to sermons online. We've even taken this conduit for connection and we've turned it into, I'm just going to listen to a sermon and that should be enough for my church today. See, our culture is pressing us to a place of loneliness. That's the pattern of this world. And that's where Paul steps in. He says, man, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by a God that has created us to be together. This is why Jesus presses so hard around unity, loving each other, loving your enemy. He says 59 different times in the New Testament to one another, one another. He says we've got to love one another because we're meant to be connected. He says we've got to serve one another. Because we're meant to be connected. He says we've got to show hospitality to one another. Now that's one that we've lost. How, much, how often are we showing hospitality to one another anymore? Are you bringing somebody over to your house just to hang out with them? I mean, I'm speaking to me too. Are we bringing people over to our house? Uh, 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 there's a comedian that I just love and, and, and that, that talks about 
people coming by the house. And he says they come and they ring the doorbell. And, and 20 years ago, when they'd ring the doorbell, you'd go, we got company. And then we'd get so excited because somebody rang the doorbell. And you'd invite them in. And then you'd, your mom would have, he says your mom would have an intimate sitting there waiting for him. And you'd sit for two hours talking. And at the end of two hours, you would walk away from there and you just go, that was beautiful. Next time, come to our house. And he says, today when the doorbell rings, everyone dives to the floor. What's going on? Who in the world just came over? And why? Did anybody invite somebody over here? We, we've, you know, so, he says somebody doesn't hear the doorbell ring. And they're just walking down the stairs. You get, get down, get down. They're going to think we're here. Man, we've lost, we've lost the, the, the hospitality towards one another. Jesus says we need to encourage one another. 59 different things. He says we need to carry one another's burdens. And this is why, this is why MOPS started, Mothers of Preschoolers. If you don't know about Mothers of Preschoolers, it's moms that got together and said every other one of us is lonely. And let's walk together in this. And you'd have these mentor moms that would come in saying, I was lonely too, and I'm walking with you. That's carrying each other's burdens. That's helping somebody in the midst of loneliness say, I'm going to walk with you in it. That's what Jesus wants us to do. James even takes it further. The brother of Jesus, he says, tell your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. So there's healing that can happen. Do you believe it? Healing can happen as we connect with each other. And I saw that from that fire. The day after the fire, when we're digging through the ashes and everything, we're trying to figure it all out. And, and Maggie from our production team on our, team, on our team, our staff, she's in the hole digging through stuff for us. Ray Donatucci's finding my, 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 my wife's grandma's nativity scene out of the ashes. My brother and Chris Lagadros are in a corner digging up, trying to find photo albums. I'm sitting there watching all of that. Jeff Youngstrom's standing on the edge of our foundation, and he knows all the construction stuff and he's just going, I can't let this happen. I know these people. I'm going to start a builder's expo. Bill, we're going to get people back on their feet. You guys, that right there is people coming in and healing in my life can happen because of it. That's God saying, I see your loneliness and I want to help you walk through that. There's lies and misconceptions that come in that too. There's that misconception that I'm too busy. I'm too busy to, to connect with somebody else. Jenny Allen talks about that. And she says, you know how many times I have had, a, had done laundry and invited someone to do laundry with me? Because I'm busy, but I'm going to still connect. She says, I do the dishes and I'll have a FaceTime conversation somebody, I'm with somebody. I'm busy, but I'm still going to connect. Men, I don't want to do a stereotype of all men. That's not the way all men are, but I think there's a lot of men out there that just go, yeah, I'm just too busy, so I'm just fine sticking around just by myself at home and do nothing. Man, we do that. That's why Jackie and I press so hard in marriage counseling and especially premarital counseling. We press so hard to, that we would become not permission givers but encouragers. 
See, permission givers in your marriage is someone that says, I give you permission to go do something with somebody else, and, but then you're just keeping an account. And so now you owe me, and so now you're going to have to give me permission to do the same thing at some point. And all you're doing is keeping an account. An encourager in marriage is someone that's going to say, I, encur- I want to encourage you to do that because God has made us to be connected with each other, and I don't want all that connection to be weighed on our marriage, and that's it. And so I want to encourage you to go, go do something with somebody else. Go do something with somebody. Go work out with someone at the gym. Go, go rock climbing with somebody. Go play golf with somebody. Go, go do a class with somebody. Go do yoga with somebody. Connect with, I want to encourage you to connect because God has made us in a way that is to connect with each other. There's a misconception that it's just not safe. That I've tried it. I tried to connect with somebody. And it didn't work. And so you know what? Today, I'm not going to connect anymore. It, was, it left a wound. And that's real. You might have reached out to somebody and going, I don't want to be lonely. I don't want them to be lonely. And you tried it, and it just it didn't work. And here's what I want to say. That's probably happened to you, but it's very likely that that's happened because of you as well that you too might have hurt somebody. Not, and a lot of times, not even knowingly, we will have not realized that we didn't um, extend the grace or the love that we needed to extend to somebody, and we might have hurt them. And what would you want? You'd want a second chance. That's a life of grace. I'd want a second chance. Will you let me have a second chance? Because I didn't re- even realize that I hurt you in that. And if you want, if you want that second chance, give that second chance. Take that risk. Because remember, Jesus meets us in those lonely places, meets us there, and even heals us there. And he can heal you of those wounds, but take that risk. Keep going. Even if you, even if you were wounded the first time, try it again because God has made us to connect. When you, one of the biggest lies that we have in this is that you say, I will always be alone. I'll always be alone. I love what Jenny says about this because she says, she says, If we believe the Bible is real, and we believe that God is real, and we believe that his promises are real, that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and we believe that he actually has made us to be in community and connection with each other, then then we got to believe. we got to believe that he does not intend us to walk this road alone. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to find a spouse or everyone's going to find a best friend. But I know that God doesn't intend, us for, intend for us to walk this road alone. And so my prayer is that he would open our eyes to somebody around us that would also love that connection. I pray that for my daughter that's going to Front Range Community College and, and doesn't have any friends there. And I'm just going, man, I just pray that her eyes would be open to a connection that she might have with somebody that's going to go, you know what, I, I've met a friend. I pray that that would happen for my son and my daughter-in-law at Richland, Washington, in the middle of nowhere, Washington, that they would meet somebody and have a connection. See, I, I pray that we would, he would open our eyes. I pray that today, when we go out there for that block party and you've come here and you don't know a soul in this room, that God might open your eyes to some connection to somebody. Because I know that he has done that. He has created us to be connected to each other. All right, all right. Well, what do we do? What do we do if we're in a season of loneliness and we cannot find it? 
We can't find the connection. We've tried, we've risked, we've done all those things. What do we do when we're just in the heart of a season where our sadness and loneliness is hooked on to that, or our disappointment or our anger or whatever and loneliness is got? What do we do in those seasons where we can't get away from it? This is where this book has been profound for me through the wilderness of loneliness. Tim Hansel talks about in the wilderness, that actually might be a time where God is actually getting our attention more than ever before. Tim describes the wilderness. He says Abraham had wilderness experiences. So did Moses, Joshua, David, Elijah, Jesus, Paul. They all had wilderness experiences. And this is the way he describes it. The wilderness was an experience where we're stripped of our normal conveniences and asked to make a journey into the unknown. It's when you lose your mom. It's when you, when you go off to college. It's when you go through a divorce and you're now in this massive place of unknown. It's when, you, when you've lost a child. It's when, you've, when, you're, you, when you're widowed and you're in this massive place of unknown. That can be a wilderness experience. In the wilderness, whether exterior or interior, is always a time of radical dependence on God. He says, it's a time of great difficulty, but the wilderness experience was never intended to be an end in itself. It was a time of preparation for a promise. And if the promise that God gives us is that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and you do not, you are, you do not, you're not alone, and you do not have to fear, if that's the promise that God gives us, then maybe in the wilderness is a time we're actually going to connect even closer to that, and we'll be more aware of that. I told you guys a long time ago that a friend of mine went from Colorado to Washington, and he went on a hike up in Washington, and, and on this hike, he, he realized four hours into the hike that the, that the um, canopy in Washington is so much thicker than it is in Colorado. And he says, when the sun started to go down, he couldn't see anything. He said, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. It was so dark. And he said, but I still had like three hours left to get back to the car. And he said, I had to get on my knees. And this guy, he's a little bit crazy, and, and, and you'd think he would have thought ahead. But he, he got on his knees, and he said, I crawled back to the car. And he said, as I'm crawling, I could feel everything, and I was keenly aware of it all. The dust of the path, the gravel of the side of the path, the weeds down below, the, the, the chirping of the, of the birds, the, the sound of the wind. He says, I, I was so keenly aware of it all as I'm feeling for the path. Well, maybe for us... In a season of wilderness, we'd become people that become keenly aware, more than we would outside of that, feel, that season of in the wilderness, that God is here. That we would sense it and feel it and go, I I'm sensing it more than ever before. And, I'm, and solitude is not something now that I fear, but something that I'll take in this season. Tim says it this way. He says, if we allow loneliness to teach us, we will discover again that we're truly not alone. We can know an inner presence and a hope that transcends anything that a mere mortal can give. Our loneliness can be transformed into solitude, which will teach us about a genuine, indistinguishable love. See, God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says he is our shepherd. He will not leave us alone. And you might discover those promises more than ever before in the wilderness of your loneliness. All right, I got one more thing, and then we're all going to go outside and have some fun together. I got a command that he gives us. Some of you might say, this one's not for me. This talk is going to be great. I'm going to give it to somebody else that's feeling alone, but it's not for me. But you guys, it is for all of us. And the reason why it is for all of us is because we are to one another, one another. It's for all of us. 
If you're in a season where you are not feeling that and you are super connected to each other, if you're in that season, what are we to do? We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're to love as Jesus loved. And what did Jesus do? He went to lonely places. It is a command God gives us all. Go to the lonely places. Go to the margins. Go to where someone, where the rest of the world might look at him and say, ugly. Where the rest of the world might look at them and say, I'm afraid of them and I'll get whatever they've got. Where the rest of the world might throw some religious rule at it or religious thought at it. I'm going to go to the margins and I'm going to find people in those places because I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we're going to one another one another in that space. You might look at a college student and go, well, I know lots of those guys are going through loneliness and maybe you'll just call, them, call out a group of them or ask us to help you to call out a group and say, I just want to get, give them a home-cooked meal. Maybe that might help their loneliness. I'll give them a home-cooked meal. Maybe you see somebody that is, that is, that is hurting from a, a breakup and you go, you know what? I know they're going through a loneliness and I'm going to walk with them in that. And that means going through the mud with them, but that's one anothering one another. Maybe you see somebody that has gone through a divorce and you, and, and you know that they are sitting there going, I'm so worried about the judgment that comes upon me from somebody because I just got divorced. And instead you look at it and say, they have got to be so stinking lonely right now. And I'm going to give them a call. I might even go over to their house. You think about, you see a mom with a baby and you're just in your mind, you remember it's very likely that they're lonely in this. You think about somebody that lost a loved one three years ago. And while the rest of their world has moved on, they're still feeling something deep down. And they don't know how to get rid of that. And maybe it's just knocking on their door and saying, I was just thinking about you today. Knowing that they're more than likely carrying some loneliness. See, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And we are to love as he loved. And we're to go to the margins. And we're to keep our eyes open for somebody that's in the heart of what's going on in their life and the loneliness that they feel. So this is really truly for every one of us. For the times that we are in it, we will be in it, and we're not in it, but we're going to step in it with somebody else. I want to finish with this one, and it's just for you guys that are super lonely right now. And I just even bringing up the subject has brought a, a, a tightness in your chest. He's just going, I don't know what to do. I've heard all of what you just said, but I can't get this tightness out of my chest. He meets us in lonely spaces. Let these words fall on you. It's out of Isaiah. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you my name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames should not consume you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Fear not for I am with you. Father, I'm going to pray first for those folks right now that needed to hear those words. 
Let that be a covering over them right now in the midst of their loneliness. This might be a season they've been in for a really, really long time. Maybe it's a season where they feel alone because it's gone so long. I pray that you would, that they would hear those words. You meet them in those lonely places. God, I pray for the person that, that so resonates with being on the margin, pressed to the outside, sitting there day after day wondering, would someone come to me? I pray that they would recognize that you meet them in lonely places. And Lord, I pray for all of us, wherever, you're, wherever anybody's at in, in this. And even if we're not, God, show us. Let our eyes be open to the lonely places that people are at. And God, help us to truly be your hands and feet that says, I will meet you there. Give us the courage to make a phone call, even a text, or maybe even a knock on a door. May we truly be the people that you have created us to be connected to each other. Help us to grow closer to each other and, and honor each other and look out for each other. It's in your name we pray. Amen.